0: Hello and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host Virgit Camps, and today's guest is John Hennessy, CEO of the Hennessy Group. And the Hennessy Group has been building fast cars and making them faster since 1991. Also building specialty vehicles since 2017, such as the Venom F5, and recently made the announcement that they're also adding Project Deep Space which really is the world's first luxury electric car that is six-wheel drive, where the driver actually gets to sit in the center of the car, and in the rear, they can lie flat, all inspired by the private jet class lavishness. Welcome to the show, John.
1: You're good. It's my honor. I'm, we've been wanting to do this. I'm glad we're connected and podcasting today.
0: Yes, me too. So as you know, we we love to talk about leadership uh, best practices, and you've built such an amazing company, and you even have brand name sponsors like Shell and Penzoil, and then you even figured out how to attract clients like the Dallas Cowboys, the San Antonio Spurs, a comedian Jay Leno, and a musician that I used to listen to all the time, Steven Tyler. So, sure. but But tell me. Why do you think you have succeeded as a leader?
1: You know, I guess it goes back to when we began the business back in 1991. And over the last 30 years, myself, and I think the company to a larger extent has been powered by passion. So especially in the early years or the lean years where we didn't have the resources that we have available today, when the going got tough, just the passion for not only automotive performance, but for success as an entrepreneur and the passion, the excitement for, again, the product serving our clients, but also just growing a business. I think that's been one of the biggest differentiators of the things that has sustained us over the years. And now that we've built a culture that shares that same automotive passion and passion for excellence and passion for really giving our, our clients, our owners a great experience, not only with the product but with the company. I think that's been a big part of what's kept us around for 31 plus years and and growing, really growing a lot in the last several years.
0: Yes. And you used to be a racer. And I think you even set a world record. Some sure.
1: Point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I set a few world records along the way. Back in 91, I learned the first rule in racing. And that is if you want to make a small fortune in car racing, you start with a larger fortune. And as I was doing my racing back then and racing at Pike's Peak and Bonneville and a few other races, I'm watching my bank balance go down. The more races that I did, the more fun I was having, the more expensive it became. And so I had to make the decision of if I'm going to keep doing this, I've got to figure out a way to monetize it. So that began Hennessy Performance in October of 1991, literally a week or two after my wife and I had gotten back from our honeymoon. I said, honey, I think I want to start a car business to modify cars for other people. And she's like, you want to do what? and here we here we are. Yes. And
0: as you kept succeeding, you've helped so many people by providing jobs for them. Sure. And and I know how tough it can be to to hire people that are qualified, especially based on the criteria you just mentioned. I happen right. to know you also have the automotive tuner school. And did you do that in part to make sure you had qualified people?
1: Yeah. I mean, basically back in 2008, 2009, as we were growing back then, I thought, man, what, what's I've had some good apprentices come through and make a bond with other more experienced technicians? How can we take that apprenticeship program and put it into an actual school? And anytime we were on the cover of a motor trend or a car driver or a major car magazine, I would get emails and phone calls from young people saying, what school can I go to to learn how to do what you guys do? Mm-hmm. And I would refer them to other automotive trade schools, but then they would circle back and they say, well, I don't want to learn how to restore cars. I don't want to learn how to fix cars. I want to learn how to modify cars. And the mm-hmm. light bulb just went off. I thought as we're growing, we need more talented staff. And if people will pay us to come to our 14-week program, there's a good chance we may hire some of those people and we can also put them out into the workforce. Now, Tuner School has approximately 60 students a year come through the program and almost all those students have jobs before they graduate. So it's really it's really been neat to see that, that grow and see some of those people come on board in our company. We have about 75 employees and about 20 of those people have come out of Tuner School. And it's, it's been neat to kind of see not only those typically young men, Although we've had ladies come to the program and students from all over the world, but now they're, they're married and they're having kids and they're, and it's really kind of an interesting thing to see as an employer, the responsibility that goes along with now, we don't just have employees, but we're providing for their families. So it's something we take very seriously. And we're, we're also very grateful for it at the same time.
0: Yeah. Well, I know people that have worked for you and are currently working for you. And Uh I know that they're very grateful to to be part of such an exciting company that keeps growing with an owner like you and your wife. And then- Did you ever struggle as a leader?
1: Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, I mean not only as a leader. An engineer told me a saying 20 something years ago that we don't know what we don't know. And that mm-hmm. and that's the first time I'd heard that saying and I'm like, what the heck does that mean? And then all of a sudden it, I had the epiphany I'm like, okay, if I if I don't know what I don't know, then I need that I need to find out. I went to engineering school, kind of ran out of money, ran out of interest, took a took a gap year and I'm I think I'm on about my 39th gap year now. So I didn't really I didn't I never had a business class and again, took some engineering classes and some science and math classes, but everything that I've learned in business, unfortunately, I've had to learn it the hard way. So for everything that I know that works, I've had to fail probably six, 12 times. And so in my later years, in my more recent five years, I've learned a ton, but I would say that every... Failure is also an opportunity for learning and what doesn't kill us does make us stronger. And I think in terms of being a leader, it's been a constant work in progress, but I guess most recently I'm, and I've heard this before, but it's again, 59 years of age it's start finally starting to sink in that leadership is really for me more about serving our people rather than our people serving the ownership of the company. And so I think the more I've gravitated towards not only getting the right people on the team and, and in the right chair on the bus, but also finding ways to make their lives better. Boy, golly, in almost every situation, it comes back around to where they do a better job for the company and make the company more successful. So and that's my answer to the question.
0: Well, I am wondering, did you have an aha moment where, where someone either quit, or I, I happen to know you you have one of the most challenging leadership uh, situations, which is you also provide jobs for your family members. Sure. And so was there an aha moment there where you had a blind spot that you were like, oh, as a leader, I, you know, I didn't know this.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's uh, plenty of times when I, I've, I've lost people over the last 30 years. And, and ultimately, had, if I'm being honest with myself, had to look in the mirror and say, I could have done a better job with that situation. I could have been more empathetic. I grew up in the 60s, 70s and, and started working in the 70s, 80s. And the old school baby boomer method of the, the general is going to come in and give the orders to the troops and the troops are going to follow them without question. That hasn't worked in a long time. And I don't know why I ever thought that it did because I, anytime I tried that style of leadership, it never really worked. So I think that uh, to answer your question, so one of our family members works for us is doing a great job now, but there was a period of time where I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to cut it. And we were having some friction. We actually went, we ended up going to a counselor and it was really good from the standpoint that he was able to be honest with me. And I was able to be honest with him. And the thing that I, the interesting thing that I heard that really surprised me was that he thought, well, you know, I don't really have to work here. I mean, even though it's family and I want to be a part of the business, I I have other options available to me. So I I just feel like ultimately as as the CEO founder of the company and the the buck stops on my desk, AKA Truman, that the attitudes are kind of directly, it's a direct reflection of like, how am I doing as a leader? And if are people whether they're the porter washing the car or senior staff don't really feel like I really care about them or can feel or understand their situation there's nothing tying them to the organization and so I feel like the more connected I am and the more sensitive I am to what their situation is and what's going on in their world to, to a degree the better they're able to respond and the and the harder they work and the better the overall outcome and the success of the company that, that we're seeing and we're seeing quite a bit of that here in the last few years
0: well I certainly appreciate your willingness to be open about it, and given how long you've been in business and given even what you said about your beginning, that you woke up and said, hey, I love racing cars, but there's not a whole lot of money. In fact, it's dwindling. I, I can imagine that you've had some crisis moments in your marriage with Hope and as you're building sure. a business. Sure. And then obviously a lot of people, entrepreneurs have had some crisis to deal with lately. Do you have a tip sure. or two that you can share about how you made it through crisis?
1: Sure. I mean, I, I can think of multiple examples, but I think one of the keys, well, I'll go back for a second. So probably one of the biggest crisis moments we went through was after 9-11 and people weren't traveling for the better part of a month and a half. I went three months without one new order. And we went from having a decent amount of cash in the bank to like running on fumes. And I just kept telling myself and my staff that we need to stay calm as we're watching the the bank balance go down and, and the phone's not ringing. And I'll never forget a guy from outside of Chicago called us up, and ordered a car that I had and owned and sold it for a good price. I actually went up to deliver the car to him. And he said to me, he said, John, I've worked really hard in my career. He was a home builder. And he says, i work worked really hard. And if it's all going to hell in a handbag, I want to have a cool car. I want to have something fun to show for it. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of really taught me that that we're, we're as much in the entertainment business as we are in the, in the automotive business. And just like nobody really needs a thousand horsepower pickup truck. truck nobody really needs a 300 mile per hour venom f5 but at the end of the day nobody needs to go to the rockets game or the or the asher's game they do because they want to be entertained and so that really kind of told me even you referred to steven tyler one time steven tyler from aerosmith told me that you know of all the millions of people that he's entertained around the world that he gets in his venom gt that that vehicle entertains him and i guess that gave me a, a whole different perspective that we're not just building speed machines that are fun to drive and can turn really fast numbers at the racetrack but that we're providing an entertainment value that again, somebody like a Steven Tyler, who travels all over the place and entertains a lot of people we're able to give him some level of entertainment. So I think that just gave me a little different twist on, on my passion for performance to where all of a sudden now that passion is also how can we serve and how can we entertain our people? The part two that I'll make that the and part, as you've taught me, the and <laughs> yeah. is, is that the old saying, uh, the customer's always right. Well, really, if, if you want the customer happy, we, we need to put our employees first. If If we have happy employees that feel empowered and valued and have the tools to be successful and are working with the right teammates, with the right vision, in order for the customer to have a great experience, our employees have to be happy and have to feel valued and feel like they have, in you know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, 11, that they, they feel like they have a future. And mm. I think that's something that's really kind of come home for me. And so we've grown a lot over the last 30 years, but we've seen significant growth in the last five years. And I think that's when not just myself, but our team and our family really began to embrace the entire company culture and what it takes to build a great team and that team working together with that passion for not just automotive performance and excellence, but the passion for giving customers a great experience has really helped helped us grow a lot.
0: Yeah. So when people are in crisis, what I'm hearing is make sure to remember that in crisis, people still want to have fun and make sure you treat your employees well, because when when they're happy, then they can help you make it through crisis and, and build a great team environment and a great culture.
1: That's exactly right. The lesson we learned from 9-11 back in the early 2000s, I mean, we kind of saw a different version of that with the pandemic when that kicked in and similar deal where we'd really, our phones were pretty quiet for about three weeks. but Then all of a sudden people started coming back and spending money. And I think we, we've seen again, since COVID significant growth, because again, I think in moments of crisis, people think, okay, well, you know, what can I do to control the situation? What, what am I just along the ride for? And ultimately it doesn't really change my values, my desires, my dreams, the things that I've, people have worked hard for. And again, you know, having some fun with a fun car for It's an honor and a privilege to be able to provide that level of entertainment as well as transportation for people that really feel, that that get excited about what we do and the the vehicles that we build.
0: And I'm a witness to your other point about treating your employees well, which includes your son-in-law, right? Alex is now running one of your yes. companies, and he's yep. done exceptionally well. And you have another family member in the business. And I know your wife helped you during times of crisis uh-huh. as well. So and I've gotten to see just the how amazing you are at looking at your side of leadership. And I think that's part of being an effective leader is being willing to look at how can you be better. So I really appreciate you contributing to other leaders today. And I know if they want to know more about your companies, they can go to hennessyperformance.com. I'll put that in the description. But uh, thank you again for being willing to take the time and be on the show and contribute to others.
1: It's my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.